our study in 1 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 7. We've talked about the first part of the chapter of two people loving each other, fulfilling each other in that God-ordained marriage is one of the best preventions of fornication. And then he had instructions concerning divorce, and that is don't. But if you do, you have two options, and that is either remain unmarried or be reconciled. And those are the only two options. Then we talked about what if one spouse is a Christian, what if one spouse is not? And we dealt with that. But now we pick up in verse 25. In verse 25, beginning of 1 Corinthians 7, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as, they, as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age, and need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So let's deal with 
the things that Paul is saying here. I think to really understand this section, you have to look at the phrase in verse 26 when he talks about the present distress. The NIV calls it the present crisis. The New Revised Standard Version calls it the impending crisis. Well, what is that? Well, go back to Acts 11 for a moment and let me show you something. In Acts 11, in verse 28... Agabus was a prophet and he came to Paul and he's prophesying of what's going to happen in the future at that time. And he says in Acts eleven twenty eight, There stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth. Some of you may say famine. We don't tend to use that word dearth. Throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Well, when would that be? So there's going to be a famine in the time of Claudius Caesar. Now go to Acts 18 for a moment. And this is where the church in Corinth began. This is the church that Paul's writing to. The section that we just read is to that church. But notice the time frame in Acts 18, verse 2. Aquila and Priscilla, who are Jews, were expelled from Rome. But why were they expelled? Because Claudius expelled them. Well, remember, Agabus prophesied what would happen during the reign of Claudius? There'd be this famine. That tells you at the time that Paul visited Corinth was at that time there would be a famine. So at least this would be one possibility of the present distress that Paul is dealing with. Famine. How would that relate? Well, what does a wife tend to think about when it comes to her husband. She thinks about food. She thinks about how to prepare, how to make meals and how to serve and, and how to have these accommodations. And if famine was a, a, a problem, do you see how that could be a hindrance? What about to the man who's supposed to provide, who wants to uh, make a way to, to provide for those of his own. And yet if he has more mouths to feed, would that be a consideration that now he's got more obligations, he's got more to consider? You know, if a man is only taking care of himself, he tends to not have, what shall I say, as high of standards when it comes to the food that he chooses to put in his mouth. I mean, if a man has to fix it himself, he might just eat anything that's easy. Whatever he can grab his hands on. Some men, you know, I'm generalizing. But, you know, if a man, though, has a, a, a wife to consider, children to consider, could this be also a, a difficulty about where you move, where you live? What if a man is serving the Lord? What if he's concerned about this job that I take and what bearing that has? But he knows, okay, I've got to provide for my family. And what happens also whenever, let's say, this job has conflicts with things of the spiritual nature and things of a physical nature? Well, if you're by yourself, you don't need as much money. And so you can take 
more flexibility in which job you take, which, which livelihood you have. But if you have more fat mouths to feed, you're going to have more considerations naturally to think about. So I'm sure that that had a thing to play here. If, if there was this famine at this time, that would have been a difficulty. However, consider also the nature of that present time. If Aquila and Priscilla were expelled from Rome, what kind of political tensions were present at that time? And if the Jews in Acts 18, if you look at that context, you see how that the Jews made insurrection against Paul. So the Jews are not generally all accepting the message that Paul is presenting that Christians are believing. What bearing might that have on a Christian who believes what the Scripture says? How many times have you known sometimes there be social pressure in, an, in a family? Why does Jesus say, if you're going to follow him, you've got to love him more than your wife, more than your children, your parents? Sometimes there would, might even be a division between family. And the gospel calls us to choose God first. If you also consider in Acts 18 that the Greeks beat Sosthenes, who was a ruler of the synagogue. So again, more social uh, tension, more, more uh, unacceptance of different groups towards each other, less tolerance towards different views. Does that sound... Like you can relate a little bit. Maybe we're not under the same exact social pressures today, but are there some similar concerns we might think about? But also add to this fact that Jesus warned in Matthew 24, verse 19, he said that there would be a destruction in Jerusalem. And I know this is in Corinth, but I want to make this point just to, to show you an idea how this could happen. If in... In Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul said, Woe to those whenever the destruction comes on Jerusalem. Woe to those who are nursing children at that time. Well, what bearing would that have? Well, suppose for a moment an army starts surrounding the city you lived in. And imagine that you're in that city and you've got children to think about how to get out. Or what if you were pregnant? Or what if you had a wife and kids and you're thinking about that? How do, am I going to make sure they get out safely? Okay, if that's going to happen in Jerusalem and Luke 21, 29, Jesus said, blessed, it, the time will come when there will be those who say, blessed are those who are barren. Well, normally we think it's a blessing to have children, okay? It's, uh, the scriptures teach that. Children are a blessing. They're a heritage of the Lord. But at a time of persecution or war, that's a, a, a difficult consideration. Now you're concerned about your kids. How many times have I heard someone of an older generation saying they're concerned about the next generation given our political circumstance? Or concerned about what may happen in the future? And... and so people have these concerns. If that's true then, and you can relate to what some people say today, then you can understand what Paul's point is. 
We've been studying in Jeremiah how that Jeremiah was told not to take a wife. Well, why was he told not to take a wife? Not that that applied to every person. God designed marriage. Marriage is good. We've talked about that. But in some circumstances, like the one in Corinth, it could have been better, is the way Paul put it, that you just have yourself there and not a wife with extra obligations to be concerned about. Paul, being single at this time, at least, he understands what he's saying, and that's why he's saying it, it would be better for them, given their circumstance, to remain as I am. Well, why would that be? Well, I think Paul would understand what being single would be like if it's lonely, needing a companion, having his needs, wishing to have that person to walk hand in hand. Paul talked about marriage in, in a very good light. He's not discouraging marriage per se, but in light of that present distress, there could be some benefits in a person staying single. If you can control your desires and and contain yourself that way. But now he's saying either way, if, if you can stay single, you would be better off. But if you can't do that, you haven't sinned. This is not a matter of right and wrong. This is a matter of Paul's judgment and advice, if you will. Inspired advice and wisdom and yet it's something that we, we need to consider. If you're single today, you might ask yourself, could there be a similar situation that I might need to consider before I have to run and rush into a, a relationship where I, I have obligations? He says in verse 28, if you do, you haven't sinned, but he says you will have trouble in the flesh in verse 28. And one says worldly troubles. And, and he goes on to talk about this, how this, where this bearing comes in. When he says that a man thinks about his wife and a wife thinks about her husband instead of thinking about the Lord undistracted, Really what I think about is, is uh, Anna, the prophetess. When Jesus was born, what was she doing? She was a widow, by the way. How did she spend her time? What did she do? Well, in her case, she spent her time in the temple, fasting and praying and waiting on the Lord. She was serving in a spiritual way. I don't think she had idle hands. I don't think she was just sitting doing nothing. I think she was involved in the work of the Lord as best she can, given her circumstance. And, and so I believe that's what she did. Now, if someone was doing that, there's less to think about. Similar, you could, you could uh, do the flip side of that with a man. Let's say a man is doing something similar as Anna, and He's devoted to the Lord. and Let's say he doesn't have the obligations of a wife or children. 
And let's say he's doing like what Paul is doing. If Paul decides, I'm going to take a trip, and I'm going to go all around the world, and I'm going to visit these congregations, or I'm going to establish congregations, and I don't know what's going to happen along the way. Am I going to get sick? Am I going to get some disease and bring it back on a family? Am I going to get hurt? Am I going to lose my livelihood? And then how are my children and my wife going to be taken care of where they are? And so he might be thinking about that. What if, what if there were those even like, say, Stephen, who was an evangelist, who had a family? But let's suppose when he goes on a trip, he might think, well, I've already been gone so long. Do I need to be gone again and neglect my family? What bearing is this going to have? Sometimes there are those in military situations who have a consideration about this. They may feel compelled to serve in that way, but yet look at the, the stress that that puts on a family. Look at how that might put a strain on the wife being without her husband, worrying about him. Similarly, as a Christian, in that particular time, there could have been some considerations where you might have wondered, how is this going to affect them in that time? Now, from my perspective, as I'm trying to wrestle with this and understand it in the context and the time in which he's given this advice, I don't know how I could do what I do preaching without my wife. The brethren wouldn't put up with me if it wasn't for her. That's why, that's why you know, you would be able to uh, allow me to stay. If I was just b me by myself, I, you might have said, you know, hit the road, buddy. But, but I think about all the ways she supports me. Even this morning, I, it, today's her birthday, and I'm thinking I should be fixing you a breakfast and she says no you need to be studying and and here it is she's still serving and then in the past week or so we've been married we celebrated our 25th and she's still serving me and she's still serving others and and I think about that and I and I I want to I want to honor her and thank her before you that I appreciate her I know you do and and others are celebrating as well. and So I think you, you, you know that and understand that. I, I need her, and she makes it easier on me. But there are times, though, where I think Paul is trying to say that if, if you're concerned about the Lord, let, let's say, for example, I have a Bible study. I might think, okay, I don't want to be out too late. I need to get home to my wife, as I should. Uh, or, so you see that there are concerns. If someone were to ask me, Andy, would you like to go to this trip in a foreign country? I've got to think about that. There's two considerations. I'm, I'm being tugged here. I, I feel compelled in some ways that maybe here's somebody that needs my help that I'm, I'm, I need to go and do something, but yet here is my wife that needs me. And, and I take the chance that I may go and 
something happened to me on the trip, whether traveling or, or whether I go into a dangerous area. Whereas if it's my, I myself, I might not care as much. But I've got other considerations there to consider. And I, I think that's what Paul is uh, driving at in this point. Given that present distress, I don't know if our, if you want to call whatever we are in, if it's a present distress or not, or if it's different, or if it's similar, or if it's just, maybe it's a distress in a different way, or however you want to look at it. Either way, you might say, well, we are very blessed compared to maybe what they were going through. Either way, I still think you can get the point of what he's saying and try to apply it to your situation and put that into your consideration when you decide to, who to marry or when to marry. When you have a family, I don't think you should neglect them. And even Paul, in other circumstances, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, what did he tell young widows to do? In the normal circumstance, Paul says they don't want them to be idle. And one of the, what's the best way for a woman to not be idle or sticking her nose in everybody else's business? One of the best ways is let her have a family of her own. She'll be so busy trying to tend to them that, that she won't have the time to try to go meddling and be a gossip. And so that was Paul's instructions to the young widows to marry, to bear children, guide the house. Yet in this circumstance, he's saying it could be better if you can control your desire so that you can have undivided devotion. And so he makes a, a statement about our possessions and then he makes a statement about our relationships. In all of these, to act as if or think as if these things are not permanent. Now, marriage is permanent on the earth but we're not married in heaven. Now, and so we've got to understand that whatever the arrangement of how we are here, that's just temporary, the way it is here on the earth. And so when he says, if you own something, act as if you don't own anything. Now, he's not saying you can't own things. He's not saying it's wrong to have possessions. But what a way to live if you, if you considered whatever I have has been lent to me. God has let me have it for now. But it's not something I should be so attached to. It shouldn't be where all of my devotion and my heart is. When Jesus said, lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth, is he saying don't put money in the bank? Is he saying you can't save up for some in the future and be a good steward? That's not his point. But his point is don't be so attached. Don't have your heart. Would you be devastated in your mind if it all were to burn to the ground? Some of us might have had fires and been through that. So we kind of know, hey, a lot of this stuff that is so sentimental 
and all of these things. I mean, and some things you can't replace, like pictures. And there are some things that memories in a home that we get attached to, and we get attached to that place because sometimes we beautify our home. We 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 build and fix things, and that was the tree I planted there. That was this is where this event took place in our living room. And so then when people lose those things maybe they have to sell it because of a job or they move go somewhere else and then you can see their hearts are torn because it's hard to leave something that is so dear and precious to you but can you see how you would be better off if you could recognize that it's the people and the events that you cherish and not the stuff it's not the couch, it's not the bed, it's not the furniture, it's not the, the picture frames, it's not the paper or the whatever item it's printed on, it's the, it's the, it's the memories and things there, not the physical, because the physical is going to disappear. And there's something about seeing your stuff burnt to a crisp, and seeing it in ashes later that you, you do realize, you know what? If my family is not in that, then that is just stuff, is all that is. And I believe that's kind of his point of why he's saying, act as if you don't possess anything. Well, and similarly, this world... You know, there are things and places that I like to visit and see and there, there are views, there's sunrises, there's sunsets and all those things. I believe we can appreciate those things. But every thing that we do, we should say, okay, God made that, so I appreciate God. But one day, this world will pass away. Is it the place, physical place that I'm attached to? Sometimes moving kind of forces you to detach a little bit. Um, we've moved so many times that by this point, I mean, I, I'm thankful for the home we have. It's a nice place, but still just a place, just a place to lay our head. I'm thankful for it. I don't mean to degrade that, but a lot of people would love to have something as nice as what we have, and a lot of people don't, and I'm thankful for that, but I... It's still just a place. It's physical. It's not permanent. And that's what he's saying. Now, in a relationship, coming back to that, when he's talking about taking a wife, when he says, those that are married, be as if you were not. Now, he's not saying, forget your family. I mean, that would contradict what he said to the Thessalonians when he said if any provides not for his own he's worse than an infidel or, or 1 Timothy uh, so you, you don't want to uh, neglect your family but when he says act as if you have none I think what he's saying is be aware of the eternity whatever your marital situation is whether you're married or whether you're single, you need to recognize that eternity should be in your viewpoint. Whatever this is, is just temporary. It's not, it's not forever. 
Have you ever known some people who take a stance on a biblical topic? Then that sin hits their family, so they change their mind to suit the family. It happens. I would like to encourage us not to do that, that we choose the Lord first. Don't, don't change what you know about, let's say, this topic, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Let's don't change what the Scriptures say on that just because divorce hits a family we know that we love. It doesn't change what the Lord spoke about the matter. The truth is the truth. Even if that's me in my marriage or if that's my children in their marriage or, or whatever, the truth is the truth. And so I need to apply the truth to myself and to my home. And when my children or my wife or, or my parents or whoever else does not follow the Lord's instructions on a matter... I need to continue to follow the Lord. I need to be devoted to the Lord whether my wife is with me or not. Now, I can say it's, it, it's so much easier when my wife and I are on the same page. She's sitting right here. What a blessing. She helped the kids get dressed. She fed them. She's helping with that. It's not like, why can't you stay home this one time? She's not doing that. She's not pulling me away. So I'm thankful that she is with me at heart and soul and spirit on these matters and that she's with me. And what a blessing that is. I believe that's why he says, if you, don't, you are not married, marry in the Lord. Now what does that mean? In the Lord. Well, it can mean scripturally. Uh, but it can also mean one who is in the Lord. You marry someone who's in the Lord. Why? Why is that so important? Is it, and why, why would you think that would be the case? Well, what did, look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. Go, go over a couple of chapters. When he talks about the rights of an apostle, he says, do we not have a right to lead about a sister, a wife? Well, he's not talking about his sibling. He's talking about his sister in Christ. And some of the translations will say a believing wife. Well, why would he say it like that? Why would he say, do I not have a right to have a believing wife? He has the right, even though he's not exercising that right. But why a believing wife? Why not just say a wife? Does that not show the importance of of having a wife who can walk with you hand in hand, helping you get to heaven. As Peter said, your heirs together in the grace of life. What a blessing that is. You, you pray together. You give your money together. What if one was like, I, I don't see the point in giving. Let's say the one was a, a non-believer and they said, I had plans for that money. But the other's like, I think we need to give. But if you're both Christians and your heart is centered on the Lord, you're both going to want to be on the same page. You see how much easier that makes things. What about being at worship or the other activities that we do together and you want to do that together? What a blessing walking hand in hand together. 
And so I believe the point here, though, is if you are not yet married, choose. If, you're, if you decide you're going to be married, why would you choose someone who's not going to help you get to heaven, who doesn't have faith in God as you do? Now, if you're already married and one of you is a Christian and one of you is not, stay married. That's his point earlier. We talked about that. But if you're not married, choose one who's in the Lord. For these reasons. In the Lord. Because the world's going to pass away. You want to be devoted to the Lord. I hope these lessons on marriage have been beneficial to you. I hope they've encouraged you. Whatever your situation is. Paul covers different situations depending upon who those are. But maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, what about me and my situation? Whatever your situation is, I, I, I want you to decide. I'm going to be devoted to God. I'm going to serve God to the best of my ability. Every time these doors are open, I'm going to be here. Every time that I need to do something that I'm supposed to do and I know the right thing to do, I'm going to do it even if I would sometimes prefer my wife and my children to be on the same page with me, but suppose they're not. I still want to do the right thing. Either way. And if you're a spouse in that situation, help your spouse. Encourage one another. What a blessing. If, if, you, if you are in a marriage where both of you are Christians and you get this, appreciate that. Appreciate that. I can tell you that there are probably those among us who've lost their spouses who could tell you how to treasure that. And some who uh, recently lost their spouses and one who's about to lose one who could tell you how dear and precious it is. And we're mindful of that. But treasure what you do have. Make it count. Make it right. It is so important. Are you doing what you should do in your home in a way that God is glorified? If not, make it, make it right. Be in the family of God. We want you to be a part of us. We want you to, to worship and work with us as a family and want to go to heaven together. That's what this is all about. We want you to have that support to lean on. What about when you lose a loved one? Who are you going to lean on? Who's going to be there to help you? It's what we want to be for each other. What if you need other needs and you need help? That's what, don't you want that? Don't you want that in the family of God? We're ready to provide that for you. God's ready to give you forgiveness. All you've got to do on your part is believe that Jesus is the Christ. Repent. Change your mind about the way you've been living and decide you're going to follow the Lord. Be baptized, confessing that he's Lord, and then live faithfully. If you're already a Christian and you have any needs or anything you would like us to pray with you on, won't you come forward while we stand and as we sing?